It's a great story, though, so it's okay that we're still in Acts because um, this is the story of the early church. This is the story, really the second part of the story that started in the Gospel of Luke. So the Gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus' birth and Jesus' life and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. And then right after that ends, the the Gospel of Acts, well, there's lots of good news in Acts. So the this book of Acts picks up right then before Jesus ascends into heaven. So we have like Jesus is in the book of Acts for about, you know, three verses. And then Jesus ascends and in the whole rest of the book of Acts is a story of his disciples, of the apostles, of the followers, of the folks who hear about Jesus and join in to this thing called Christianity. And their story, it's, that's what we read in this book. And so it's the story of the early church, but it's so important to remember as we read that this book is really still about Jesus. It is still about Jesus because it's still about God's mission in the world. And that's what Jesus was here to do. That's who Jesus was, was God's mission into the world, literally. God came into the world through Christ. And this book is still about that because it's about how that was carried out in the people that Christ chose, that Christ gave authority to, that Christ blessed, that the Holy Spirit came upon and worked through and continues to work through. And so the story that we read here is really our story. And so that's why it's so cool that we get to read it. Lots of things have happened in the book of Acts. The church started and they started preaching and people started joining up. But there was a lot of tension because really the Christians were Jews. I mean, Jesus was a Jew. So the Christians, these followers of Jesus, these Christians, if you will, were Jews that believed that what God had promised the Jewish people, the Israelite people way back you know, centuries and generations ago, the promises that God had made of a Messiah, of a Savior that would come and redeem the people from their sins and save them and reconcile them to God, all of those promises that God made to the Jewish people, the people who believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and was the Messiah was in fact that Savior, they were Jews who believed that God had finally fulfilled God's promises. But see, there was these other Jews who didn't believe that the Savior, the Messiah that God had promised was this guy called Jesus that walked around and did some cool stuff. So there was tension then between the Jews that didn't believe that the Messiah was Jesus and then the Jews that did believe that the Messiah was Jesus. And so there began to be tension between those two groups. Persecution occurred Everywhere they went, they would preach, they would go and talk to the Jews, but a lot of the Jews didn't like it, because not because they were just stubborn, <laughs> although maybe we could think that, but really because they thought that the Christ followers were blasphemous, that they were talking about this guy, this human named Jesus, as if he were God, and that is crazy, and you cannot do that. In fact, if you do that, we get to stone you to death, or at least imprison you and beat you for a few times and you know, run you out of town. So there was this tension and there was this persecution that started up where the Jews would persecute the other Jews who were followers of Christ. And as the movement spread, more and more people started hearing about this guy named Jesus. And all of a sudden, people who weren't Jews heard about it. They were called Gentiles, basically just non-Jews. 
And so they started getting involved. But they have a lot of different customs than the Jewish people did. So how could they be in this one community, this one Christian community, and have all these different customs? And we're talking like you can eat a different, you eat different food, you eat in a different way, you sleep and wear clothes that are different, you have practices that are different. I mean, radically different lifestyles, but yet still contained and brought together by the Christ message. So there was tension there, and they started to have debates about, well, do we need to require men to be circumcised when they become a Christian? And let me just ease everybody's minds. They decided against doing that, and that was a good thing. And then more and more people joined up, and, you know, people started being baptized and being saved, and, but we also have martyrs, and we also have violence. And so this book of Acts is this book full of tension. As the good news of Christ, God's mission in the world, spreads and people receive it, and people don't receive it. And gosh, isn't it the same way today? <laughs> people receive it, and people don't receive it. And there's tension that we have in our churches, and there's tension that we have in society. And so this is our story. So we um, have seen a lot of different characters in the book. There were kind of the original apostles. There were the first martyrs. There was Peter, who was a leader of the church in Jerusalem, which was like the center of the church, um, kind of from which all the different missionaries would go out and, and minister and preach the good news. Um, and then we meet Paul, and Paul is this massive character in the book of Acts. In fact, about halfway through, Acts doesn't really talk about anybody else but Paul and maybe the people that happen to be hanging around Paul. And so we hear the stories of Paul as he travels specifically to um, Gentile areas. So if you remember, Jerusalem is kind of, you know, where it is today, actually. <laughs> and then he traveled up into what we know as Turkey. And then he traveled over into Greece. And he's eventually going to make his way into Rome. So he's tra traveling kind of north and west and spreading the message that way. And we hear of the different cities that he's gone to and the churches that he started there and the people who have converted um, and believed in in Jesus, because a lot of people actually believed in God. They may not have been Jewish, but they were maybe God worshipers or God fearers, but they didn't know who Jesus was. And so what Paul did was come to them and say, this person, uh, this, this God that you worship, I'm going to give you a context for you to really know this God even better. And that is by telling you about Jesus Christ who came, and this is what he taught, and this is how he lived, and this is what he did, and this is what it means for your relationship with God. So Paul came and took the context of the Christ message and put that around the God that a lot of people were already worshiping, were already connected to. And he made that connection for folks, and that's how they became believers. And they joined these little groups, and they would meet in homes, and they would support each other, and they would write letters to each other, and they would encourage each other. And when a missionary would come in, they would take care of that missionary. And, you know, that missionary would go and preach in the streets and in the synagogue and in the marketplace, and he would come back, and they would worship together, and they would eat together in this little community. And those communities were happening all over the place. And we hear about how Paul was involved in that. Now, of course, we also hear that Paul is basically run off from every town he ever goes to. So he goes to a town, and he preaches. And some people like it, and some people don't. But the people who don't somehow rally up and join forces, and they run him out of town. And so he goes to the next town, and he preaches the news in the synagogue. And some people like it, and some people don't. It's this 
pattern that we see happening in Acts. So he gathers some friends along the way, you know, Silas, and he gathers a guy named Timothy, and he meets people on the road, and he ministers with them. And um, so we're going to pick up in the book of Acts in chapter 18, right at the beginning. And um, he's just, basically, he's been doing what I just told you. And so we're going to pick up, he just was in Athens, and he just preached, and he taught, kind of combated with some philosophers there, um, picked up some followers, you know, some people didn't like him, as usual, and uh, so we pick up with chapter 18. So after this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. Now there he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together. You know, by trade, they were tent makers. Every Sabbath, every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy, two buddies that had been with him but had been left at another town, and he was waiting for them in Athens, but he had left Athens by this time. So they finally arrived to meet up with him from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him like they do, in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, you know, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord, together with all his household. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. Let's just stop there, and I'll put this in scene, and then we'll um, kind of pick up from there. Okay, so he leaves Athens, which is this huge city of like lots of intellectual and philosophical study and advancement. And he goes to Corinth, another very big city. In fact, it's the capital of this um, region of Greece called Achaia. And um, he goes there. So it's a big, big, you know, city. It's uh, ripe for, there's lots of people who could be, you know, preached to basically. <laughs> And uh, he found a Jew, really a Jewish Christian, a Jew called Aquila, a native of Pontus, which is on the Black Sea. Um, And he had recently left Rome, been ordered to leave Rome by this guy named Claudius. Now, Claudius was the Roman emperor from about 41 to 54 CE. 41 to 54. And what's really interesting is we actually have a historical document that talks about this very act and that places his expulsion of the Jews from Rome about nine years into his reign. So we have that right about 4950 CE would be when these two Jews, really all the Jews, Jewish Christians really, were told that they had to leave Rome. Now the reason, we have this historical document that kind of explains the reason why they were told to leave Rome. And this is because they were causing disturbances at the instigation of a man named Crestus, which is actually spelled differently, but is the same way that you would pronounce what we would pronounce as Christus, which is Greek for Christ. And so the historical account is that these Jews 
were being instigated by this random guy named Crestus, who nobody knows, that, you know, who's Crestus? And I don't know, but he's instigating all these Jews, so we got to kick him out of town. But really what was happening is that the Christian Jews, remember they were all Jews, you know, the Romans saw them as all Jews, but those who followed Christ were in the synagogues, and they were talking about this guy named Christus, who was Christ. And the Jews were arguing with them, and there was tension, and there was debate, and there was like some heated arguments, and you know, they got all like feisty in the marketplace, you know, and it's like the jets, and what are, what are the other jet, the jets? Sharks. Yeah, you know, it was like the Jets and the Sharks, you know? I mean, like meeting and like fighting. That's kind of what was going down. And so the Romans were like, this is crazy. We just got to kick them all out. And that actually, that's what they did. So that's, there's some like really kind of interesting historical situations going on here. Um, But it's just this little phrase. And if I hadn't told you, you would never have known that there was this like crazy historical thing going on. Okay. So they all leave Rome and he goes to see them and they're in the same trade, you know, and they're considered tent makers. Some people actually argue and tra- that the word there is translated as leather workers. So we're not really exactly sure what they did, but I don't know. So tent or leather, whichever one, they, they worked with it, made it. Um, but of course, he's not just hanging out with them, like doing his trade. He is going into the synagogues every single Sabbath, and he's arguing, which is what he's good at, with the G- G- Jews and the Greeks, trying to convince them of what? We read later, trying to convince them that the Messiah was Jesus. So when Silas and Timothy, his buddies, arrive, I love that. He's, he's occupied with proclaiming the word. He's, he's like, hey guys, what's up? I'm busy though. And he's so focused on this because this is a really important point that he's trying to convince people of. And it's really important that the Messiah is Jesus. That's what he's arguing. The Messiah is actually Jesus. He's not arguing about who Jesus is. Does this make sense? He doesn't, nobody's like, well, who was this Jesus guy? Well, how do we, you know, nobody cares who Jesus is. They just care who the Messiah is. Well, who is the Messiah? Who is the Savior that God promised? And so he's arguing about who the Messiah is. He's not arguing about who Jesus is. It just so happens that the Messiah is Jesus. And so that, that order is really important to the mission here. Because the Jews, remember, the Jews don't really, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't care who Jesus, Jesus, who's that? You know, who cares about that guy? They care who the Messiah is. How do we identify the Messiah? And so that is what Paul is telling them. And of course, they protest. How can that be? Who is this random guy that you're telling us is the Savior? How can we believe that? That he's the fulfillment of God's promise to us? And so he does a very symbolic thing, which... You know, Jesus actually told the apostles, the disciples to do when they left a town that didn't believe in what they were saying. Um, They would shake the dust off their feet. Just kind of knock the dust off your feet and keep on walking. And so he does that kind of very symbolic thing. He just shakes the dust off his cloak. And he's like, all right, I'm done with you. Your blood be on your own heads because I'm innocent. And that's actually a very common biblical phrase. It seems kind of like harsh and grotesque. But really, it just kind of means like, all right, I did my job, and now it's going to be your responsibility how you respond. You know, I, I'm, I've, done, I've done my part. Now it's up to you to do your part. So it's, you know, it's up to you. Like, I'm not going to be responsible for what you do anymore or what you say because I've done my bit. So that's kind of what the expression means. Um, and he says, he makes this bold statement, I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So then we have, um, he leaves the synagogue. He goes to the Gentiles. In some translations, does anyone's translation say Titus instead of um, Titus, Justice? 
Some translations just say Titus. Some ancient translations say Titus. Um, anyway, and so he's a worshiper of God. So he is a Gentile who also worships God. Very, we've seen these people. Paul encounters them before. Um, they can be counted as big supporters of this movement. They're the ones who know God, who worship God, but they don't have that Christian context. And so that's what Paul has, is bringing to them. And so he's next door to the synagogue. You know, so Crispus, who's the official of the synagogue, which basically means he's not a priest. He's like a lay person who helps to get things organized and helps to put on, make sure worship goes right um, and organizes worship and all, and all the different ceremonies and practices in the synagogue. Um, so that's who Crispus is. He becomes a believer. So we have these stories of folks who are baptized and who hear the message and who respond correctly. So verse 9, one night... The Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for there are many in the city who are my people. And so he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. And just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of crime or serious villainy, I would be justified in accepting the complaint of you Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I do not wish to be a judge of these matters. And he dismissed them from the tribunal. Then all of them seized Sosthenes, the official of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of these things. So Paul has this vision that God comes and says, okay, you got to stay there. Unlike the other towns where you have run away and gone to other places, you need to stay here. And so he stays for a year and a half, and he ministers, and he proclaims the word. That's um, The word of God is like the way that you summarize the entire Christian message. You know? So that's what he's doing. He's teaching the word of God. But he's, up, um, he's building up the communities, and he's, he's, he's continuing God's mission in the world. Um, but then we have, again, this historical situation that happens. And um, we know from actual historical records that this guy, Galileo, was um, pro-council, which is like mm, governor of this area in Greece, this massive area in Greece, um, from about 51 to 52 CE. So this would actually line up kind of right along kind of the, the way here, historical order. Um, and so when he was governor... They make this attack on Paul. The Jews, the, non, the Jews who are not Christian Jews, join together and they bring Paul and they bring him in front of the tribunal, which is basically like the bench or the seat or the raised platform where the judge would sit. So they bring him before the tribunal and what do they accuse him of? They accuse him of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Now the reason they're bringing Paul to the Romans was because the law they're talking about is actually a Roman law that says that no new religions can be proclaimed or preached in Roman territories. 
Judaism was an accepted, recognized religion. But if Christian, Christianity, if the Christians were preaching a new religion, then that was actually against Roman law. And they could be, you know, prevented and kicked out and they weren't, wouldn't be allowed to try to get converts or anything like that. So that's why the Jews are bringing Paul in front of the Romans because they believe that he's preaching this like new thing that has nothing to do with them and is like totally wrong. But of course, before Paul can even speak, what does Gallio say? He's like, okay, wait, no, no, you got this all wrong. This is actually has nothing to do with me. This is clearly all between you Jews, because really you're all the same in, in our eyes, in my eyes, in the Roman eyes. You're all the same. Jews, Christians, this doesn't really matter. You're all the same, and this is clearly just an interreligious issue that you're having with yourself. And he says uh, specifically, you know, it's a matter of questions about words and names. And that's the question of the Messiah, and who is the Messiah? This name, Jesus, keeps popping up. It's a question of words like Messiah and names like Jesus and your own law. It's actually about your own issues that you're struggling here. So you need to see to it yourselves. And so then he dismisses them from the tribunal. So we have this beautiful kind of parenthetical scene. They bring him before the tribunal he dismisses them from the tribunal. And what's happening here is this author is using this story in a very powerful way to the readers of this, the first hearers or the first readers of this story. Because what we have here is a story about the proper relationship between Rome and Christianity. The Jews blame the, think the Christians are breaking Roman law, and they think... You know, the unbelieving Jews, the, the non-Christian Jews, think the only way to deal with these Christians is to bring them in front of the Roman council, the Roman authority. And that's who will help us get rid of them. But Rome recognizes Christianity for what it is, at least what this author is so desperately trying to show that Christianity is, which is not something new. Christianity is not something new, actually. Christianity is the fulfillment of God's promises and God's activity in the world for thousands and thousands of years. And so because Christianity isn't something new, it's actually kind of the completion of the Jewish faith, if you will, if they're waiting to find the Messiah, this is they found the Messiah, so they're now their faith can be complete in that Messiah, then it's not something new. It's all the same story. You know, there's no difference. It's just a continuity of God's relationship to humanity, of God's relationship to the world, of the way that we should understand who God is, the way that God has finally acted and fulfilled God's promises in the world. And so the way that Galeo responds is the right way that the Romans should respond to Christianity. They should recognize that this is not a new religion. This is the completion and the, the fulfillment of the faith of the Jews, and therefore let stand back and let that happen. And so this last sentence, 
when Galileo is like not even caring about the fact that this random guy is getting beat right in front of him, right in front of the tribunal, it's not really a personal like attack on him, like, oh, he, had, he was such a hard-hearted person, he didn't intervene. It's more like, no, actually, that's the right response because they should not even be concerned. Rome should just back the F up and just not even bother with us Christians. That's kind of the attitude. That's, it's like subtle. It's like, oh, no, you don't have to bother with us. But really, it's like, no, just don't even worry about it. We got it. So there's like this really, um, that's a really key point that this author wants to make with this text. If you remember way back to the beginning of Luke, the very beginning, it talks about how I'm going to tell you about this and you can see that it's safe. That this story is not, you know, about overthrowing Rome and like tearing down, you know, your whole infrastructure. This is about a relationship with God, and this is about what God has work, God's work in the world, and this is about rede- the redemption of God's people and how that's now opened for everybody. And so there's this sense that you have that the author is very concerned with making sure that Rome understands what Christianity is really about. But it's interesting because is Christianity really safe for Rome? I mean, is it really safe for us? I mean, is it really something that's not radical and not here to shake things up? We're just here to worship God and to recognize God's relationship with us. I mean, but what does that mean? And if you really understand what Christianity did, I mean, it was radically, it radically changed the socio and economic ways that people lived in those days. I mean, it radically changed the societal infrastructure and how men and women and slaves and free would relate to each other because guess what? We're all in the same Christian community. We're all one under God. And so there, there's still some tension there. Even though this author is trying to make this case for Rome kind of leaving us alone and not worrying about us and that's the proper response. But when we really dig deeper... It, is kind of, it does kind of shake things up. And that could be really threatening in a way. And I think today, it's easy for society kind of say, for us to kind of wish, just leave us alone, we're going to do our Christian thing, we'll be over here in our churches, and you know, we won't shake things up, and we won't make a big scene, and we won't make a mess, and we're not here to overthrow the government, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying we should go overthrow the government, but I'm just saying that Christianity doesn't call us to be safe. I mean, and Christianity doesn't call us to just sit in our rooms. Now, one question I'd want to address real fast before we leave, and I know we're a few minutes late. I'm sorry about that. Paul is not taken and beaten. This random other guy is who is like the next council of the synagogue. Why do you think that is? If you remember Paul's vision and what God said to Paul was, not a hand is going to be laid on you. Because I'm going to be with you. And so don't be afraid, but don't be silent. Don't be afraid, but don't be silent. And so we have this really interesting dynamic happening in this story where Paul is told not to be silent, and yet the author is still trying to paint this whole like, oh, but, you know, don't bother listening to us Romans. We're actually pretty decent and good, and we're not, you know, this is just an interreligious thing between us and the Jews. Don't worry about us. You see what I'm saying? How there's tension there? And how what Paul does is actually really stir things up? And the fact that the Jews, the Christian, or all the Jews were kicked out of Rome because there was so much disturbance over this guy named Christus? 
I mean, and the fact that when Paul would go into a city, like entire marketplaces would like become in an uproar. And the fact that he's preaching things about men and women and, and community and equality that in ways that like totally disrupts the social order of the ho- whole Roman hierarchy. I mean, Paul, by not being quiet, by not being silent, is preaching and talking about radical things that really do stir people up. Christianity should stir people up. It should stir us up when we think about the equality that it means, when we think about the forgiveness and the grace that it means, when we think about kind of the inexcusable things that Christ was able to brush aside to reach the heart of somebody, to reach the heart of all of us, and to think about then the ways that we need to maybe look at things that we consider inexcusable now. I mean, it challenges us in ways that we've never thought maybe before about how to relate to one another, about how to relate to God. And so that's radical. And that's what's kind of happening here. But we have this like crazy story where it's also like, Roman, just go away, back off. You know, don't be, don't worry about us. We're, we're just fine. And so I, I see a lot of tension there. And I wanted you to see that too. So that's why I taught you that. Okay, um, we're going to end. And I am uh, sorry that I kept you so long, but let's say a quick prayer. God, we're grateful Um, again, for this time that we had. And God, we ask that as we go this week, you remind us that Christianity is radical and that it does shake things up. And we can't just hide away from society and those around us. We need to, to not be afraid and we need to speak up because your mission is still necessary in this world. And we are still the church and are still charged with carrying it out. God, I ask that you keep all the safe and travels. I guess I ask that you bless everyone who couldn't be here tonight. And the sun's going to be bright.